G'day and welcome to the St. John's Anglican Church Dolby podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please don't edit the content without permission from St. John's. If you'd like to donate to the work of our church, please visit anglicandolby.org.au and go to the donate page. The reading today is from Habakkuk chapter 1 verses 1 to 4 and then chapter 2 verses 1 to 4. The prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing, destruction and violence are before me? There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. And chapter 2, verse 1. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to his, this complaint. Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits at an appointed time. It speaks of the end and it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we're into the fifth week of our Prophets Minor and Major series, and so far we've covered a lot of ground. We've met three prophets, Jeremiah, Micah and Amos. While these prophets spoke in different contexts, their message has been unified. They've seen the injustice and oppression among their people that comes from their rejection of the one true God. They've brought warnings of judgment and they've called for repentance, encouraging, even begging us to turn our lives back to God. Today we're going to meet another minor prophet by the name of Habakkuk. While other prophets brought messengers from God, Habakkuk speaks directly to him. The book has sometimes been called a mini-Job. Both these books pivot around one central question, why? Why, God, if you're so good, is there so much evil in the world? Perhaps you've met people who've pitched this question to to you. Many claim that the Bible has no answers to this question. But today we're going to see that this is one of the central questions the Bible does in fact address. Today we'll see that Habakkuk has a God-sized problem. We'll be given a God-sized solution and we'll see how this gives Habakkuk a God-guided faith. The prophet gets stuck into God right from chapter 1, verse 2. Look with me in your Bibles. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Here Habakkuk asks the universal question of why. Even if Christianity isn't part of your story, every one of us has wondered why the world is is as it is from time to time. Habakkuk lived and preached in the southern kingdom of Judah, just like Amos from last week. And just like Amos, he could see the violence festering among his people. Violence and injustice surrounds Habakkuk, and he says the law of God is paralyzed, powerless to stop the evil within. Habakkuk has a God-sized problem. But rather than do what we often do and turn to despair or try to medicate, work or distract ourselves from our problems, Habakkuk brings his problem to the only person big enough to offer any hope of a solution. Who is it? It's not a trick question. It's God. Friends, there is so much for us to learn here. 
Over and over again in the Bible, people come up against God-sized problems. Whether it's drought, flood, corruption, injustice, slavery, infertility, unemployment, bullying, sickness, or a bloodthirsty Egyptian army bearing down on you, the people of God who eventually triumph are those who trust God. We should do the same. God has a thick skin and broad shoulders. He can handle our questions and our God-sized problems. So often we don't take our problems to God in lament and prayer because we think that either our problems aren't worth God's attention or we can fix things in our own strength or we're too busy trying to distract ourselves from our problems to take them to God. Here in Habakkuk, we have an encouragement to surrender our God-sized problems. Whether it's the business that's failing, the diagnosis that's worrying us, the drought that won't break, or that person who just won't do what you want them to do, God-sized problems are all around us. But at the same time, so is God. The Bible again and again shows us the the only person qualified to handle God-sized problems is God, and we should take our problems to Him. Now there is a qualifier on this first point. Habakkuk takes his God-sized problem to God, but the God-sized solution he's given is hard to swallow. Look with me in chapter 1, verse 5. Look at the generations and watch, and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people, who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. The Babylonians were such a great threat that God sent at least five prophets, Habakkuk, Jeremiah, Joel, Obadiah and Zephaniah, at the same time to warn the people of the Babylonians. But they didn't listen. In chapter 1, the Lord poetically describes the Babylonians. They're like the North Korean army, Al-Qaeda, and the Albrecht front row, all rolled into one. Look at verse 7. They are feared and, they are fear and, dre- feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like a vulture, swooping to devour. They all come bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They deride kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. They build earthen ramps and capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own strength is their God. Rather than accept God's solution to this problem, Habakkuk can't believe his ears. Have a look at verse 13. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Habakkuk is saying, God, we're bad, but we're better than the Babylonians. The Babylonians were gobbling up kingdoms and nations to the north. Their horse-mounted archers were famous for both accuracy and cruelty. Habakkuk then takes his new complaint to God, saying in chapter 2 verse 1, I will stand on my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look and see what they will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Habakkuk goes to a tower and waits for his answer from God. It's important to note here that the word used for waiting is an active verb. Habakkuk isn't giving up on God. He knows God is good and he knows this can't be the whole story. So like a soldier waiting on the walls for an army, Habakkuk waits for God. God's answer comes swiftly in verse 2. Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets, so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. 
It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, he is puffed up. His desires are not upright. But the righteous will live by his faith. Habakkuk is given two answers as to the why question. First of all, God sees the pride and violence of the Babylonians and knows that it comes from the same source as the violence of Judah or anywhere else, sin. Violence and injustice is the natural product of a pride that says, there is no God, so I can do what I want and nobody is going to stop me. To that God answers, woe, hold up, your violence won't go unchecked and in choosing that path of sin, you're setting yourself up for destruction. God pronounces a series of woes in chapter 5, verse, 5 woes in chapter 2. This first woe is for those who steal in verse 6. Those who plunder will be plundered, just as Habakkuk's people are plundering others, so they will be plundered by the Babylonians, who will be plundered by someone else. The second woe in verse 9 is for those who build up by unjust gain. The people of Judah have built economic empires on dodgy deals, and now the Babylonians will ruin those who have ruined others and will be ruined themselves. The third row in verse 12 is for those who use slave labor, building on bloodshed. Using slaves will look impressive, but they will come till nothing. In verse 14, God promises, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters covers the sea. It's a promise that God will set wrongs right. The fourth woe in verse 15 is for leaders who abuse people and God's creation. They use alcohol and sex to pacify and manipulate people. And in verse 17, we see God also cares about the cruelty they have done to animals. God's message is, the violence you have done to Lebanon will overwhelm you and your destruction of animals will terrify you. The final woe in verse 19 cuts to the core of the issue. Idolatry. We become like what we worship. If you worship violence, pride, and power, you will become violent, prideful, and powerful, but at a cost. The Babylonians offer themselves to violent gods, but the things they put their trust in will end up ruining them. Verse 19 is a mockery of the religion of the violent. Woe to him who says to wood, Come to life, or to the lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? Is it covered? It is covered with gold and silver. There is no breath in it. Notice that the woes here are general. They can apply to the Babylonians or to the violent people Habakkuk is complaining about or even to evil empires today. This assures us that God sees violence and oppression from all angles. For all people throughout all history. God is saying, calm down. I know what's going on and I'm still in control. Yes, there is violence and sin in the world, but these things will consume themselves. We can either trust in them or trust in God. But here God is laying out the consequences and outcomes of evil. So the first answer God gives Habakkuk is, yes, I see the injustice that is going on. And yes, it will stop. I'm not asleep at the wheel. Justice is coming. The second answer God gives is that the righteous will live by his faith. Habakkuk 2.4 presents a problem for Bible scholars because the question is, whose faith are we talking about? Is it the faith of the righteous person? Perhaps. But a deeper look at the original language suggests that it could quite possibly be God's faithfulness. The righteous will live by God's faithfulness. The debate this question creates is endless. 
But regardless, faith is the key. I reckon it's both the object and the subject of faith that matters. It's not my amazing faith that saves me. It's God. There once was a man who developed gangrene in his foot. The doctor told him that he would need to operate, but the patient didn't trust the doctor and he never returned. Eventually, the whole leg rotted and the man lost his whole leg. Friends, this is so often what I do. I back myself to fix my God-sized problems. I think if I can ignore the problem, it'll go away. Or if I work hard enough, I can sort things out in my own strength. To date, I'm yet to have any success when I go my own way. But when I put my trust in God, my God-sized problems come to Him. He's proved faithful every time. The role of God has been filled. Others need not apply. In light of God's oracle, Habakkuk is given a choice. It's the choice we're given every day. Do we entrust our lives to the faithful sovereign God or do we put our faith elsewhere? Habakkuk chooses to praise God for answering his questions. Evil will not triumph. God is in control and he can be completely trusted to vindicate those who are faithful to him. The final chapter is a beautiful prayer or song to God. It begins in chapter 3 verse 2. Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. O Lord, renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. What follows is a cosmic worship song where Habakkuk praises God for his power over the elements, his justice and mercy. He's no longer accusing God of not caring. He's casting his cares on God and breathing deeply in the awe of God's love. You'll notice in your Bible there's a little word to the right of the text that's sitting out there on its own. Selah. No one knows for sure what the word Selah means, but it appears to be a musical term encouraging the whole band to stop. It's a way of saying rest, breathe, and calmly reflect on what God has just been what has just been sung about God. This is what a God guided faith produces. A confidence that come what may, God can be trusted with God's with, God, with life's God-sized problems, and in his goodness, he allows me to work alongside him on the me-sized problems. Richard Niebuhr is considered one of the most important theological ethicists of the 20th century. He lived through both world wars and saw the violence and oppression of Hitler and Stalin. While you may have never heard of him, someone has probably shared his most famous prayer with you. It's called the Serenity Prayer, and there are some funny mutations of it going around. Firstly, one of my favourites is, Lord, give me coffee to change the things I can change and wine to accept the things I can't. Or the senility prayer. God, grant me the senility to forget the people I never liked anyway, the good fortune to run into the ones I do, and the eyesight to tell the difference. But yes, Niebuhr's original goes like this. God, give me grace to accept with serenity the things that cannot be changed, courage to change the things which should be changed, and the wisdom to distinguish the one from the other. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right. If I surrender to your will, so that I may be reasonably happy in this life, and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Friends, this is the God this is the type of God-guided faith that Habakkuk encourages. This is the kind of God-guided faith that Jesus models for us. When Jesus told his disciples he was going to die for them, 
they saw this solution as too violent and drastic, but Jesus knew it was the only way. Yes, the world is filled with God-sized problems, and yes, God's solutions often don't make sense to us. But Habakkuk is a timely reminder that God will overcome evil and put all wrongs right. The cross is a reminder that God's solutions are cosmic and all-encompassing, and the resurrection reminds us that the effects of sin will be reversed. Redemption. That's God's job. Our job is to trust God and partner with him in the things we can control, faithfully loving those around us, come what may. I imagine as the armies of Babylon surrounded Jerusalem, Habakkuk didn't take things lying down. Someone with faith like this doesn't despair. They don't give up. Instead, they control the things they can, love others to the best of their ability, and leave the rest up to God. This is what Jesus is saying in the Gospels when he says, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted into the sea, and it will obey you. When we trust in God like Habakkuk does, like Jesus does, our world changes. Faith can do more than move mulberry trees. Faith in God can change the world. As we come back to the back end of the year, there are God-sized problems all around us. Recently, I've buried two wonderful people, prayed for those for whom death is just around the corner, and spent time with desperate farmers who have very little hope for the future. In our church, each week we welcome people who have all sorts of God-sized problems. The name Habakkuk means wrestler. Friends, it's important that we become people who take our problems, big and small, to God. Knowing that even if we don't understand his solution, we can trust our futures in his hands. In a world that so often seems like it is spinning out of control, God is our one constant. So let's draw close to him and with Habakkuk's say, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Saviour.